Hi, I'm Sean Eckford, board member here at the Sunshine Coast Festival of the Written Arts and producer of our daily festival podcasts. This year, instead of our usual festival preview episode, we've been marking the festival's 40th anniversary by telling the story of our birth, near-death and rebirth, and looking toward the future. We left off in part one with the festival back on firm financial ground after clearing a mounting debt and ticking along nicely under the creative leadership of producer Gail Bull. In the early 2000s, with the festival going into its 25th season, there was another change in leadership with the arrival of new artistic and executive director Jane Davidson. I've had this job for 15 years, but I've lived on the Sunshine Coast for 28 years. But here's the interesting thing. I wasn't actually interested in this job because at the time I was the general manager of the Vancouver International, as it was known then, the Vancouver International Writers and Readers Festival. And our founder, Alma Lee, had um, just recently left the festival. She was Her successor was Hal Wake, and I was working with Hal Wake. And then I heard that Gail Bull, my predecessor, had resigned and, and was leaving. And then the next thing I know, Wendy Hunt, who was the then president of the board, called me and she said, would you be interested in coming and having a conversation with us about, about this position? I said to her, I'd be happy to, Wendy, but you need to know that I'm, you know, we're in the middle of a succession like a, a transition period at the Vancouver Writers' Festival, and I feel a real obligation to sort of stick around for a little while longer to help Hal, uh, to support him in, in his transition. And she said, that's fine, let's just talk. So we met, we sat on the patio at the Daily Roast, and we had a great conversation. And all I could think about was, for the last six years, I had been getting up at 4.45 every morning, and getting on the 6.20 ferry and coming home, arriving home 6.30, quarter to 7. There was this amazing opportunity at the Sunshine Coast Festival of the Written Arts that I was a fan of, that I had attended a lot, uh, that I attended many times. And I went home and I said to my husband, you know what, how's going to be just fine without me? <laughs> and that's, it just, it just felt like a destiny move in a way. Um, that here I had been working in a literary festival on Granville Island for six years, and this opportunity was a possibility. So that's how it happened. I think the festival was in a pretty healthy position in terms of the board, um, in terms of the finances of the society. I was able to secure some more public sector funding, but my predecessor and everybody at the festival had done in my opinion, a really stellar job of cultivating a loyal audience that melted the phone lines um, on the first day of ticket sales every year. So the popularity of the festival was something that I inherited. I didn't create that. That, was, that success was in place when I started, and I could only hope not to mess it up. The years passed, board members came and went, volunteers continued volunteering, and writers and readers met every August at Rockwood. Jane also broadened the festival's reach with some new programming outside the usual August weekend, including one that would bring authors and students together, the celebration of Authors, Books, and Community, CABC, a joint initiative with our local school district. I'm also really thrilled with um, the educational outreach program that is part of our 
organization, part of our operation. It is enshrined. One of our mandates is to bring writers and readers together. Programming for children was not successful at the summertime festival. That's because families are busy, they're at the beach, they're camping, their kids are at day camp. It just wasn't, it wasn't successful. So we're fulfilling our mandate by bringing writers into classrooms. We are bringing writers and their readers together, and I think it's really, really important. And the way it's grown, and I know, you know, for the first few years I had to go and get special funding, but now it's just a part of our operations and, and what we do. And... The writers that, you know, Richard Wagamese, I walked into the Chattelich Library one day and he was sitting in a round, at a round table with maybe 10 students, most of them Indigenous youth from the, the Shishel Nation, t t talking. And I thought, you lucky kids, you lucky, lucky kids, lucky Richard. That's been a real source of, of pride for me is the is, um, CABC Celebration of Authors, Books, and Community. It was in the late 2010s, with the day-to-day -day operations of the festival well in hand, that then-President Gene Bennett and the board's finance committee started thinking about how we could gain a measure of financial independence. At the time that I'd been on the board and that I became president, we had the Harper government uh, federally and we had the Clark government, Christie Clark government provincially. And neither of those governments had particularly strong commitments to arts and culture. And it always felt like the funding that we received, that we were really dependent on, was very conditional. Having experience with organizations where I'd seen funding pulled out, I always thought there's there has to be some way that we can start to take charge of this a little bit more. So instead of feeling like we are just completely dependent on that, how do we start to generate the funds that gives us more autonomy, that made sure that the festival would always be able to do some level of programming without being tied to what governments were asking of it or governments pulling away funding completely. And so was born the Legacy of Literacy Fundraising Drive with the goal of building an endowment of $1 million that could provide the income the festival needed to be self-reliant. It was a big job, made even bigger near the end by the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd never done anything like this before. I, I didn't know how you went out and raised a million dollars. I was not comfortable with approaching people to ask them for money. You know, that wasn't part of what I had done. As I say, I'd been on the edges supporting people to do stuff like that, but it had never been me who was sort of on the front line of it. But I, I just felt this incredible sense of responsibility and possibility. It just felt like, you know what, there is something here. Um, and I don't even know whether I could have articulated it fully at the time. I had my notions about what that was, but it just felt like there was really something in it that would work. So, you know, I sat down with Jane and we identified some people that we thought uh, could be helpful to us that could join the a fund development committee. Amazingly enough, every one of those people said yes. Uh, they were on side right away. And so then we just started talking with people, thinking about going, what is it that we need to do? Jean remembers getting a call from Artistic and Executive Director Jane Davidson the day the donation that put the fund over the top came in as the pandemic stretched into a second year. 
I mean, she called me right away. And, and so I was just at home in my kitchen and just going, we have done it. We have done, like that was the thing. We have done this. And particularly because that last stretch of it, it really was kind of Jane and I who were, you know, kind of managing the details and stuff, right? Uh, because people didn't have ways of going out and talking to people. People didn't have ways of reaching out to people. So we were really reliant on uh, what we could do through the phone or through, you know, um, written communication. There was such relief, I have to say, that was one of the things of just like incredible relief. And just pride. Pride in um, the festival, pride in the commitment that people have to the festival, right? Just that there was so many people that believed it mattered. And that was such a great feeling to have. And the other thing that was really important to me was to create a way that the festival could always take risks with programming that it wasn't tied to the priorities of, you know, uh, government funders. And I think that's critical uh, in order for the festival to stay on the edge of, you know, um, what's emerging in terms of writers and writing and storytelling. And Jane says the contributions that came in, big and small, were a real show of trust from the community. I remember phoning people to let them know that we had reached our goal and could I have their permission to include them in the donors list that was going in the newspaper. At first when I realized I needed to get permission, I thought, oh, this is going to be an arduous task. <laughs> and it turned out to be so incredibly joyful because it gave me a chance to have a conversation with so many donors over the course of a dark week in, fe in February, I think it was. And so many of them said, oh, I, I, I only gave $20 or I only donated, you know, $15. And it was wonderful to be able to say, but really, truly, now I get the meaning of that expression, every dollar counts. Look what we all built together. And I think that for me is the legacy of the legacy of literacy. It's the, the building and the, um, the humbleness of so many people and how important that is. I, I feel accountable to, those, to, to every donor, and I know, the, the, I know the board does. We raise that money, but we receive that money from people who have placed their trust in us and placed their trust in what we do. That's quite something. The pandemic not only made in-person fundraising nearly impossible, it also forced us to do something no one ever imagined happening just a few months before. Pandemic Sinks Writers Festival. Rick Jesperson, Coast Reporter, April 24, 2020. The Sunshine Coast Festival of the Written Arts has canceled its 2020 season due to the potential health threat posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. It was to be the 38th annual staging of the event. Jane rose to the challenge of the cancellation with another project unique to the festival. The book Monday Was a Simpler Time, Reflections on a Pandemic, a collection of new work by artists who'd been scheduled to appear in 2020. Jane and I talked about it at the time, over Zoom, naturally. We sent an invitation to all Festival 2020 authors. We asked them to contribute an original piece of writing, meaning a currently unpublished piece of writing, to the anthology, fiction, nonfiction, an essay, poetry, 
that reflects on their experience, their perspectives, their observations of these extraordinary times. The other thing about this book is that it's intended to be a legacy project, an archival document of sorts. Marissa Alps was a member of the festival board and working in the publishing industry while all this was going on. And she's recently been hired on as our new artistic and executive director to replace Jane when she retires in the fall. I have a long history with the festival. Um, in my previous work, I worked for Harbour Publishing and later on Douglas and McIntyre. And so I was able to work with previous producers to sort of promote our books for the festival. And I started coming to the festival quite early on in, in the 90s as an audience member. And I was a featured author myself in 1996. I just fell in love with it. I mean, I just believe so strongly in the vision and the mandate of the festival and all that it stands for. My love of the festival has been a long time in development and I just felt very excited about working for such a stand-up organization and, and feeling like I could help impact the community in really positive ways. While the 2022 festival is going to be Marissa's on-the-job training, the planning, programming, and execution is, for one last time, entirely in Jane's hands. I gave myself permission this year to program writers who I feel are making a meaningful contribution to our ability to try and process what's going on in our world right now, which is a very confusing place. There's division, there's hate, there's, um, you know, all of, all of these things, the struggle, the long, I, I can't believe the pace at which, I can't even use the word reconciliation anymore, but I, I despair about how slow this process has been for Indigenous people in, our, in this community and in our country. I despair about what is happening to LGBTQ people and especially youth in, in Texas. And I just, I can no longer pretend or put my head in the sand about, well, you know, that's the United States, that's not here. These things are creeping across our border and into our, and into our lives. I felt a real desire almost an obligation to put voices forward that need to be heard right now. Before she retired, Carol Off, one of my particular heroes, she said in an interview, if you have agency, now's the time to use it. And I thought, I'm going to Carol. <laughs> and that's why this, 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 year's pro, this year's program of events is very heavy on nonfiction, and I just feel that it's, it's, it's important right now. Marissa, meanwhile, says it's still a bit early to talk publicly about her vision for the years ahead, but one thing is for sure. I firmly believe that in-person is the most rewarding way to do it. I mean, I've had lots of experience with online presentations and events in the last few years, but... To me, nothing replaces the magic of bringing people together in one place and having that live energy where people are able to respond to each other and 
meet each other face to face. So, here we are, celebrating our 40th year as the country's longest-running gathering of Canadian writers and readers under new artistic leadership and with the Legacy of Literacy Endowment to give us a solid foundation to go 40 more years or even further. It's certain places you get a sense that you're with real readers and that really feeds you as a writer. So I feel that very strongly here. And my voice always wobbles when I think about this moment, but Richard Wagamese had a huge, huge impact on me personally. I know he had the same impact on the audience and his readership. He was the first Indigenous person to deliver the Bruce Hutchison, what was known as the Bruce Hutchison Memorial Lecture. And I will just forever remember Richard Wagamese getting up on stage um, and calling in the ancestors with a drum. No lecture had started like that before, I can tell you. And, <laughs> and he talked about the ancestors sitting on our shoulders in that space, and I swear I could feel it. And then he spoke for 50 minutes. He had no notes in front of him. Oh, the producer in me was like, oh, I hope he, I hope he, keep, I, I hope he keeps it together, keeps it on track. He did not repeat himself. One thought flowed to the other. There were no awkward ums and ahs. There were no... He, it was scripted in some sort of um, way that I'll never understand. But it was a deeply moving address, and it was, it's something that people still talk about. You get to meet a lot of other writers, which is great, and of course readers. It's really one of the best festivals in the country. Stories are so critical. And that sense of shared stories. When I do stuff on Zoom or I do things electronically, I, I easily select what I'm going to consume. When I go to the festival, I go to things that I probably wouldn't have uh, done otherwise. And I've heard so many people say that, you know, they, they've heard things that has really changed their perspective, perspective on climate change, perspective on mental health, perspective on Indigenous rights, you know, all of those things. And I think they've had that experience, but it shared it with a whole bunch of people. So even if they're not necessarily talking to a bunch of people about it, there's still that sense of like, oh, okay, we all we all heard that story. There's a bunch of people that are thinking about this. I often felt like I was processing stuff that I heard at the festival for the the year after, you know, that there'd be the immediate things. And then I might go, oh, yeah, you know, that was so interesting. Something else would surface in my life. I think it's such a rich input of ideas you know, I think it's probably the most critical intellectual exercise that the Sunshine Coast engages in collectively in every year. It is one of the finest festivals I've ever been to. Beautiful venue and give the authors a good chunk of time in front of a capacity crowd. We don't get that almost any other festival. From the time I could read, which was like, I don't know, five or six years old where you start reading books have been they've been an escape they've been a way of moving forward they've been you know you get on the ferry you have your book with you um, you're at the doctor's office waiting you have a book and not in, just indiscriminate reading but just reading those things that inform you that help your curiosity when I, I offered my services as a volunteer way back in the early 90s, um, I just wanted to be part of something maybe different than what my usual 
life has been. And my experience with the festival has been just so special. I can't help but get a bit teary talking about it because it gave as much to me as I gave to it. This is the most uh, marvelous of festivals. The audience is absolutely remarkable. Such deep readers and thinkers and people that love to engage with reading and writing. It's just been great. Oh, there's so many. This might sound like a shameless plug for a a Harbor Publishing author, but I do remember uh, going to Grant Lawrence's event for um, Adventures in Solitude, and it was a packed house. Everyone was laughing so hard, Grant could hardly get a word in edgewise. And um, I just remember thinking how remarkable it was, like the whole... 400 plus people laughing at the same time and sort of the joy reverberating around the pavilion and you know laughter is such such a healing thing for that moment I think everyone in that auditorium was happy and that was really exciting. I'm just very appreciative and full of gratitude for the festival founders who brought this whole vision into being. Sure, there was challenging moments in the organization after that, and and there, I'm sure there's going to be lots of challenging moments in the future, but what they gave the Sunshine Coast and the wider literary community across Canada, what they put together 40 years ago was just, it was magic. Let's give the last word to those founding mothers we heard from in part one. Maureen Foss, Rosella Leslie, Gwen Southern, and Betty Keller, speaking at the Rockwood Pavilion in 2012. And my memory of the festival was uh, Stuart McLean was here, and I had about my 10 minutes in. And I was heading back, and on the porch, in the dark, overlooking the gardens, was Mordecai Richler and Michael Andachi, and Dan Needles, who wrote letters to Wingate Farm. And I think they were sharing a bottle of Mordecai Richler's single malt scotch. And that was my memory of the festival. I thought, it's worth it. My memory of the festival is June Col- favorite memory, many of them, but uh, was June Colwood's presentation in 1989 when she introduced me to the importance of community and the concept that it takes a whole community to raise a child. At the end of her talk, a man from the audience rose to his feet. He was almost overcome with emotion as he said, that feeling you spoke of, that joy of helping someone and finding that which is best in yourself. I had it once. I was working with alcoholics on the East on Skid Row, but I lost it. June looked at him tenderly and said very gently, no, you didn't. With that, she ended her talk, and she got a standing ovation. I think a lot of it, some of it was for that man. But the lesson she gave about the power of community has stayed with me ever since. This community built this pavilion, volunteers. When we need in our town a CAT scan, Who gets the money for it? But the community. Everything you ask to have in this community, people get together and do it, and it's just incredible. And it is what I used, um, is that sense of community that was the underlying theme in both of my novels, um, Goat Lady's Daughter and Drift Child. 
can't remember what they are. <laughs> My memory was of Peter Sorsky. He really was a patron saint of our festival. And he wrote the uh, introduction to, to, I've got a copy of the cookbook here, and he wrote an introduction to this. And part of it, I just have to read to you, because it, it just sums up everything, how he felt about the festival. I remember once, right after I dropped out of the sky in Klaus's plane, checking into my room and, just to make sure I could do some entertaining during my stay, heading out for the local emporium to pick up a bottle of wine. On my way, I met the poet Patrick Lane. We shot together and decided to hit the beach. There, as we parked on a log and watched the breakers roll in while we solved the problems of the world, Jeffrey Simpson, the Globe and Mail's keenest political writer, came strolling down the path. We waved him over, and for much of the next three hours, the poet, the pundit, and the broadcaster talked of baseball, boyhood, landscape, friendship, and well, okay, women. <laughs> I can't think anywhere else in the world where three such disparate people could have done that. The outstanding memory I have of the years at the festival was after we had built the pavilion and we had moved our offices into Rockwood and my office was right at the front there looking out over the, the town and on the Saturday night as people were leaving I looked out and there's this long trail of taillights going down the main street. And I thought, we did that. We brought all those people to listen to Canadian literature. That was Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Eckford. Sophie Woodruff was the assistant producer for the podcast and helped with interviews, editing, and script writing. She was also our voice from the newspaper archives. This year's festival runs August 11th to 14th. Visit writersfestival.ca to check out the lineup and find out how to order tickets. And if you can't join us or just want to catch up on the highlights, watch for our daily podcasts on Festival Weekend.